Good morning. Yes, I remember this. I remember what this is like. So uh, welcome back a little bit. Today we're talking through the spin cycle, and this is just the process that Peter gave us in his two epistles in First and Second Peter for what it means for us as a people to live the redeemed life, to move from selfish to devoted followers of Jesus who are walking in the abundant life that he promised us. This is the development of a disciple. And he says in 2 Peter 1, he says, add to your faith knowledge. So if that knowledge is how generous Jesus actually is, that the King of kings and the Lord of lords would step out of heaven and become our payment for our sin debt, that, that that reality would blow our minds, that it would amaze us and awe us to the point where he says, now apply to your knowledge of that truth, self-control. So you can begin to walk in the very disciplines that Jesus himself gave us as his disciples so that we can add to our self-control action. We can begin to become like Jesus and we can become the very picture that he intended of our individual lives before the foundation of the world. So he says, add to your self-control perseverance. Begin to persevere to the point where you reflect godliness to the world. So add to your perseverance, your action, godliness, which is all about accountability. It's that if we are going to wear the name of Jesus, then we should be as advertised and the world around us should expect from us as much as Jesus does for us to love like him. It says, add to your godliness mutual affection. Maybe your scripture says in 2 Peter 1, brotherly affection. Because he says that we were bought at such a high price that we're not to live for ourselves any longer. We're supposed to live for others. So this is about mission. And we're going to spend our time here today. And then he says, he says, add to your brotherly affection, your mutual affection, love and good deeds. That out of your life appropriate the very traits, the very generosity that changed your life in Jesus. Allow that to change the life of others. So it's a very linear process, but it's always circular because we live cyclical. That your knowledge that changed your life should be, as an ambassador of Christ, changing someone else's life. And it is, just as Lynn prayed before, about relationship. You see, mutual affection, where we'll focus today, is about mission. It's about giving our attention to others. Mission is about priority and investment in eternity. Jesus himself said in Matthew 6 that we're to store up treasures in heaven. Not to store up treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy, but to, to invest our lives in relationships, those things that will cast and last forever. Not, not where the things that we deem as valuable like precious metals here on the earth are perishing. He says, focus on relationship. One of the greatest uh, opportunities, privileges I have as a minister of the gospel is to officiate weddings. And when I meet with a couple for the first time to go through premarital counseling, I always challenge them to come up with a mission statement for their marriage. Why? Because just like starting a business and just like starting a church or any organization, you need to have a statement that grounds you and it guides you. It reveals who you are and what you're about to the world, but it also keeps you focused on the legacy that you're striving to leave. When Jesus was challenged by the religious leaders in Matthew 22 about what the priority was, they said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus simply replied, that you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. He says you're to worship God with your all. And he says the second is just like it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. He says on 
On these two principles hang all the law and the prophets. So what he's telling them is, you pray this three times a day in the temple. And he goes, and it really is the thing. It's really important. You're saying it right, but you're not relating to God in the right way. Because, And we'll explain what I mean by that in a moment. He is saying it's really about worshiping in all that you do. And everything that you've learned to this point, everything that you know right now, and everything that you practice religiously is really about these two principles, that you're to worship in all that you do and to make others your priority. Focus on them. Maybe you've heard it said that we're to live for something, that your life should count. Well, Jesus himself challenges that very thought in what he just said in Matthew 22 and what he added in Matthew 6. In verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And see, the religious leaders that tried to challenge him in Matthew 22 came to him. And they were challenging him because they had amassed for themselves respect, wealth, and status. And they had used the vehicle of religion to attain it because of all the knowledge they had, they lorded that over the people. They became rock stars in their society because their society had such a strict religious system that was based on their interpretation. And so he says, hey, look, it's, you can either live for yourself, which is what they were doing, or you can live for me, but you can't live for both. No one can serve two masters. You're either going to live for stuff, which is about us. You're going to make it about amassing gold and silver for yourself, which is perishing, or you're going to live for me. But you cannot live for both. And if you're going to live for me, living for me is about relationship, not only to me, but to make others the priority so that they might have the same hope and, and know the generosity that changed you might have hope of changing them. So mutual affection is about mission, and mission is about priority and investment in eternity. Jesus is saying, you're going to choose to live for someone. We all choose to either live for him or to live for ourselves. And we will only learn to love others like him, like he intended. John 13, 34 and 35 said this, that I give you a new commandment in this New Testament, that you would love others like I did. We only choose to love like him when we first learn to live for him. And so I'm going to read it straight from the hands of Peter, 1 Peter 1, 18 through 23. It says it like this, as he describes what mutual affection or mission in life for the church looks like. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as gold or silver, that you were redeemed from this empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Verse 22, now you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. Your translation there originally may say from a pure heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So Peter starts by giving us the first point. And he says this really simply, we are not our own. The word here redeemed is the Greek word lutroo, which actually means purchased at a high price or redeemed by ransom. So the Greeks understood that purchasing freedom 
for someone who was a prisoner of war meant a, a high price to buy back their liberty. They had this construct in their mind, and that's why he uses this word here. But Peter's Hebraic tradition means that he is coming at this from even a deeper angle. And you can see that in the words that he uses in verse 19. He says, but with the precious and priceless blood of Christ... Who, the lamb without blemish or defect, you were purchased. So he is taking the, those who are listening to the, to the mindset towards Exodus 12, where he and all other Hebrews celebrate annually something that happened with their ancestors. It was the Passover. That on the night that the death angel came, on the final plague, they were to take a pure lamb, as pure as this world can produce, and take its blood and paint it over the doorway. And when that blood was seen by the angel, it would pass over them. And they commemorate it every single year in a celebration called the Passover. And they commemorate that in a meal called the, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It is at that time they recognize that blood was the price to redeem us from sin, to save us. He says... At the celebration every year, they, they celebrate the hope that a Messiah will come and one day finally end the sin problem. And he says that Messiah is Jesus. He says the Lamb's precious price and pure blood was used to spare those who would place their faith upon him, Jesus. He says Christ's blood was priceless. And he goes again in verse 18 by reminding us, For you know that it was not with perishable things like gold or silver... That you were purchased. We've talked about this the last couple of weeks, but he's saying again that these things are pointless. And he says, unless we can find ourselves really detaching from our old life, which pursued those things, unless we can allow him to really have his way as Lord and submit to him, we're going to continue to turn back in our lust and our desire to these things. But unless we can detach ourselves, we're going to make our investment about perishable things. And these were, this is what we were taught was important. And this is what they were taught was important. Because whether the vehicle, doesn't matter really how you look at it, whether it be religious or rebellious, the world is going to teach you that you are to pursue the things that the world deems as valuable. And whatever it provides should be your pursuit. But he says that's pointless. And he says, if you don't really get this in Second Peter 1 then your knowledge of Jesus' generosity just became ineffective and unproductive in your life. So why is the spin cycle important? He says, it is important for you to not only allow that knowledge to sit with you, but to drive the way that you appropriate love and good deeds to those around you. It should be the manifestation and the motive for your very love. It should change you. It's much like Isaiah 6, where Isaiah is reflecting on his call, where he first met the Lord. He sits in Isaiah 6-1 at the altar, mourning the death of Uzziah, the king that he played scribe to. His life was tied to Isaiah, or to Uzziah, and Isaiah really liked what having his life tied to the king meant. It gave him status. It gave him uh, wealth and respect. But as he's sitting there mourning the death of Uzziah, it says that the Lord shows up and Isaiah experiences him for the first time. And he experiences him in such a way that when he speaks, the doorposts shake. And his, the train of his robe fills the temple. And angels are flying around singing uncontrollably, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And they won't even look upon his face, his glory. And there, 
Isaiah repents and he says, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips because as an idolater, I've paid homage to the wrong king. This king that I've worshipped is going to lay down his crown at the king of kings' throne. And I have seen the king. Woe is me, I'm undone. I lead a people who are also idolatrous. Forgive me. And God in his generosity and in his grace allows Isaiah to live in that moment. And he doesn't stop there. He gains and begins a relationship with Isaiah that enlists Isaiah. He says, okay, now that I've let you live in my presence, and I've let you go through the painful process of having your sin purged, I want to ask a question. Who will go for us? Whom shall we send? And Isaiah is sitting there going, well, (laughs) I should be dead. I've been giving credit to the wrong king. I can't believe that a king so holy would let me live in his presence. I desire to go for you. I'm indebted to go for you. I have a gratitude that motivates me to go because of the love you had for me. I want to love and and be an ambassador for your kingdom to the rest of the world. And so Jesus is saying, and Peter's reminding us, that we are to be just like Isaiah in our response. Isaiah is reminding us that we have a responsibility to worship him in all that we do by the way that we love others and present him to the world. Because Jesus gave his all for us, we're to give our all for him. We, his ambassadors, are to go to a needy world and give our all as to be accurately advertised as his church. We're not to turn back to these lusts or these desires that, that we, we pursued in our old life. And it doesn't matter how we pursued them, whether that was secular or sacred, whether religious or rebellious. It really says that the God of our life is one person. It's, it's us. When our pursuits end with perishable goods, that means your God was you. It's really about turning from that back and facing Jesus and living in the gracious generosity that he had for us in the abundant life that comes by him. But the only way that we do is to have our minds renewed, as Paul said in Romans 12. He said, look, your salvation, your life change will really begin as you renew your mind and you start to see things from my perspective. Repentance and salvation begins in the mind. Otherwise, we will continue to, if we continue to turn back this way, and our mission doesn't become about making his name great, but still becomes about making our name great. He says, look, you're going to live Jeremiah 3.17, which is where in the mind your sin is born and then later manifest. So the Hebrews have this religious tradition that's passed down to them from their forefathers. And it's all based on their interpretation. And I love what Peter, who comes from that very system, says about all of it. He says this. He says, this way was empty. You were redeemed from an empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Now, he is smacking his forefathers ultimately in the face. And here's the thing that I need to say to those of us who are Christians in the West. We were handed something rather similar. When you can admit that your background is a little legalistic, we have a tendency in our discipleship platforms to unfortunately not teach people what it means to be in relationship as ambassadors to the king. We have a tendency to teach people how to live morally as to not a, 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 like offend God, as to just evade his, his curses. We have a tendency to teach people how to live morally versus how to live on mission. 
and to make your life about making his name great versus just self-preservation. Because self-preservation is still not about him. That's about who? It's about you. 2 Corinthians 5 says that you are redeemed and you are reconciled at such a high price that he has now enlisted you just like Isaiah as a minister of reconciliation. And your life is to go to the world and allow them to have hope and knowledge of the very generosity that changed you by the way that you love and treat others. By the way that you lift their needs above your own. Isaiah 26.3 says that our minds, when stayed on Jesus, will be at Peace. I don't know about you, but in a world like today, I need peace. How many of you need peace in the midst of our chaos? He says that when your mind is stayed on me and my principles, my priorities, my investment, you'll be at peace. And then he says, when our minds are stayed on others, we become effective versus ineffective and pointless and unproductive in our knowledge of Jesus or in his advance in his kingdom. Reading on 1 Peter 1, 22, 23, it says, Now that you've, been, you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply and from a pure heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Verse 22 says, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you, just like John 15, 3 said. There's nothing that you're doing to clean yourself up. You've already been purified. But for the world to see that purely in you, you have to trust me and make my name great and live as if you're an ambassador of my kingdom versus still trying to amass a kingdom for yourself. Verse 22 says, since you are clean, then you are to love others purely. You're to love them truly and to love them deeply. Because the second point for today is this, we are not to love by our own power. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 says this, Love is patient. True love from God's perspective is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. I need each of us to click in as I say these descriptions of what love from God's perspective is and see if we identify or if we stand opposed. Because you and I all have human limitations within our flesh. It says it doesn't dishonor others. It doesn't self-seek it's not easily angered it keeps no record of wrongs it's not keeping score it doesn't delight in evil but rejoices in the truth it always protects always trusts always hopes it always perseveres he says that we're to love purely if that's true this definition first corinthians 13 4 says it's not self-seeking that we're not going to keep score and keep record of wrongs how many of you have a list going against those around you Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. How often do you rejoice in the very truth versus just trying to skirt evil? It also protects. It's always seeking to put itself out there for others. It's always trusting. It always offers hope because it never stops hoping itself. And it always perseveres because it will not end. Pure love from God's perspective is all these things. Loving truly or honestly is just like Proverbs 27, 6 says. It says that flattery is deceitful. Man, I have a ton of people that want to blow sunshine up my skirt with flattery. But the truth is, the wounds of a friend can be trusted, but the enemy multiplies kisses. 
How many of you have someone in your life that will just speak honestly to you? We talked about that last week in accountability. We all need someone that loves us enough to speak license and truth to us as friends. Because we're expected to love deeply and allow them to love us just as deeply. We're to be united, John 17 says, in the high priestly prayer of Jesus. That we are to, uh, he says in verse 22, I have given them glory that you gave me, that they may be one just as you and I, Father, are one. I and them and you and me, so that we may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you've sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The truth today, church, is this, that we will only love like him when we first live for him. So in conclusion, he expects the very thing that he's put in you, his very spirit, church, to come out of you and I. It is our mission on earth to know him and to make him known. It is his single strategy for redeeming the world. That your life bears fruit of his spirit, evidenced by your love and unity for one another. This is how he reveals himself to the world. It's how he redeemed you and revealed himself to you through his generosity. And it's how he reveals himself to others through you. So today as the band comes back and we take time to respond to this word, I want to encourage you to respond in one of three ways. First question I have for you is who do you truly live for? Is it for you or for him? Only you can know. As you sit there today, you have to take inventory. What would others in your life say of you? Number two is my same question. Is your living for him evidenced by your love for others? Would friends and family say that you love and look just like Jesus? And lastly, I would really love to hear from you. We would love to take the opportunity to pray for you as we do weekly. So email us at prayerthefellowship.cc. If you, if you have something that you need put before the Lord, we counter an honor to do so. Maybe today you've heard this and you go, I just desired to take a first step with Jesus. I want to have a relationship. We would love to have the opportunity to minister to you. So email us so that we can have a dialogue on what it means to follow him. Or maybe you're here and you say, I know the Lord, but I, I just want to know what it means to take the next step in him. I keep spinning out of my selfishness. I keep turning back. Please email us. We'd love to minister to you and help walk with you through that next step as you develop as a, a follower of Jesus, an ambassador of his kingdom. Father, this morning, you love us. And we love you. And we are blessed to live on mission for you. May we live on mission, Father, as your son's great and glorious name exceeds from our lives. Our name is insignificant. While yours will stand forever, Jesus. And all will know it. So this morning, Jesus, we turn to you. And we ask you to have your way right now with us. It's in your name we ask.